Our second reading that serves as the text of our sermon today comes to us from the second letter of, uh, sorry, the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, the second chapter. And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Is it so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God? Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, of the ruler, age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The story is told of a certain church that just behind the pulpit stood this beautiful stained glass window that depicted the very cross and crucifixion of Jesus. That there was a little girl and her mom that week after week attended that very same church. Is there one Sunday, though, is that as a guest preacher stepped in for the week, one who was of much smaller stature and size than their regular pastor, is that she listened to that guest preacher for a while and then suddenly she leaned over to her mother and said, where's the regular guy who always blocks Jesus? <laughs> is that there's a little bit of truth in that that sometimes we can stand in the way of others seeing the very truth of our Lord Christ, that we can get in the way of those who can clearly see and know and understand of what God's relationship, His love, and His care for them is. 
that you don't have to be a preacher to find yourself in that situation of being tempted, of being more built up and boasting and overconfident to stand in the way of the message of the Lord. Too often, our own desires, our own wants, or our own whims, or even our own self-confidence can stand in the way of others seeing Christ in our life and hearing Him in our very words. But I love how one of my favorite authors puts it, that Flannery O'Connor was a Southern author in the mid-1900s, writing about a great many things, but she was a strong Christian. And this is the words of a prayer that she once wrote, reflecting on her life. Dear God, I cannot love thee the way I want to. You are a slim crescent of a moon that I see, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing all of you. That what I am afraid of, dear God, is that my self-shadow will grow so large that it will block the whole moon, and that I will judge myself by the shadow that is nothing. For I do not know you, God, because I am in the way that too often we find ourselves getting in the way of seeing Him clearly and His word of truth and hope and promise and praise. But Paul comes to us today writing in this second chapter of 1 Corinthians those very words, and when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, Paul finds himself stepping into the midst of people who he has known and loved. Paul is the very founder of this church who had in many ways by his preaching brought many of these very people to faith now saw them begin to drift, begin to turn, begin to be influenced by all of the world and the culture and the things of life of their day-to-day -day existence that began to change their Christian faith. So we might think that these people lived so long ago, but do we find ourselves not in that same situation? that our culture and the world and everything that surrounds us begins to press in and block out that faith or block out that place. And it begins to change how we see ourselves, how we see Him, and what it is that He comes to proclaim and speak to us. And so today we stop and we think about what is it that Paul's talking about? that he did not come with lofty speech or wisdom. He did not come with great eloquence or great rhetoric. See, Paul, throughout all of this, betrays what is going on in the midst of Corinth of that day. See, there was a continued surge or movement among the people at that time that it was called the sophists. It's a fancy word for wisdom. It's Greek, you know, it's scholars. But it was a Greek that simply were all about wisdom. It was not about wisdom itself, but how eloquent and how great of an orator you were. Is that you were the one who came strolling into town as a traveling teacher, or maybe you lived there and found yourself day after day coming to the marketplace. 
and finding your role as a tutor or this or that by showing your abilities. The Corinthians melted over a great preacher. Man, they loved to hear someone who could just simply turn a phrase and simply just make them feel everything that was there. That they were captured by that very thought of that if it doesn't sound good and sound right, and if it is not something that is pleasing to me and simply melting in my heart, is that it is certainly something far from me. That the way that they would do it is they would come in and they'd go ahead and call the crowd together and say, what would you like me to speak on? That it was their ancient equivalent of modern stand-up or, you know, kind of sketch comedy. Say, give me a location. That I, 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 need, I need an object. I need a person. And what did they do? Is that whatever was called out of what topic or question, that they would show their great speaking skills. That they would great feeling with great orator, oratorical skills and everything would simply impress all who heard. But Paul says that I came in a different way. But do we find ourselves in much of a different situation in our day and age? How do we judge people and their ideas? How do we judge even the very things that are proclaimed into our lives? That I might give a little bit of analogy. That back in 1858, yeah, that's been a while, <laughs> but Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas held the Lincoln-Douglas debates is what they've become known as. They were running for this, the Senate seat from Illinois, and they were debating the question of the spread of slavery into the new territories and everything else, this was something that went out into the very nation that so many people heard and read and talked about what these debates were. But it is estimated by historians that between four and 5% of all people in America at that time would have been able to pass one of these people on the street and like, I know that guy. <laughs> Only 4 or 5% of people had any idea who this Abraham Lincoln was. They judged him and his debating partner not by how they looked or spoke or how they talked or all of their great oratorical skills. No, they judged them by their ideas. Now fast forward a hundred years to the year 1960. The very first presidential debate televised for the whole country to see. In this corner, John F. Kennedy, and in this corner, yes, Richard Nixon. <laughs> there was a big difference that all saw splashed across their screen. That not only did Kennedy have an ability and comfort and ease in front of a camera, is that not only did he speak and talk as well as in that way that people could simply understand. But the very fact is, is that the historians even debate about the fact that Kennedy 
was willing to accept the makeup and the other stuff that prepared him for this televised debate, whereas Nixon, on the other hand, denied any makeup and found himself recently just having come out of two weeks in the hospital and so appeared on screen, pale and underweight, shifty-eyed and nervous and uncertain, and all agree that Kennedy absolutely won that debate, and that debate changed the very course of history and helped decide one of the closest races in all of our United States presidential history. But isn't that how we live today? We don't judge by people's ideas, we do not judge by what they stand, or we don't even wait around to hear all of what they say. Is it simply we hear something that we don't like and we shut them out? And we look for all of the images of beauty, we look at the images of power or sexuality or all sorts of other things. And we look at all of the surface things and we certainly continue to judge how someone speaks or what they do. But what does it mean for Paul to say that I had come saying that I would believe in nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Then what does that mean for us today? That how do we judge this very Word of God? How do we judge the very things that we let into our lives or not? Do we judge things of historic and eternal perspective based upon our own current cultural perspectives, our own limited kind of ideas of what is good and right or wrong? Or do we stop for a moment and say that maybe there's something that's coming from outside of me, something that's coming from something greater and bigger than me, something that doesn't come with simply the power and the image of what is appealing, what is attractive, what is powerful and right. Do we come to hear a word that can change our lives? See, the cross in the eyes of the world is not something beautiful. It's not something powerful. The cross in the eyes of the world is something that others see as tragedy, despair, darkness and suffering, the very things that we cast out of our existence and put aside in our lives. Well, what did Paul say last week? That the very power of God is the power of the cross. That in our weakness, that he makes us strong. That even his own disciples on the day that Jesus was crucified, that they found themselves in despair and sadness and ran because they thought that all was over. But what is it that God is able to do in things that we look at as ugly ugly and uncertain and simply things that are too deep for us to understand? that I guess I might put them in words that another might put better than I. The Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, 
is that who found himself living and working in the midst of the resistance against Hitler and the Nazis in World War II once proclaimed these things. That I know about the God for whom I am searching, either out of my own experiences and understanding, from my own, own interpretation of history and nature that is from within myself. Or I know the very God of this world on the basis of God's own revelation and God's own word. That either I will determine the place where I will find God, or I will let God determine the place where He will make Himself known. That if it's I who say where God is to be found, then I will always find a God there who some manner is simply corresponding to me, is pleasing to me, who fits my desires. But if, God, if, if it is God who says where he is to be found, that it is probably a place that is not at all commensurate with my own nature and does not please me at all, but this is the very place of the cross. That those who want to find God must find their place under the very foot of the cross. For this is where we find how God feels about us. That we may look out into the beauty of the world, but it does not tell us of what God's feeling towards us is. For storm or illness, or problem, or pain may come in, and we may rail at God and say, where are you? But when we look at the cross, and when we look at Christ, and we see that Christ is at work right there in suffering, that we know where our God is, that here I am for you that my arms are stretched out in love. My blood is poured out for your sins, and yet it is poured out for your salvation. You want to know how I feel about you, that I was willing to give myself up to make you my own, that this is the very power of the cross, not by philosophy or wisdom or eloquent speech, but by the very power of him who died for you. May that wisdom and that power of God that is greater than all of ours, may it give to you this day and every day that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. May it guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus as we continue to celebrate all that he has done for us. And so today we welcome not only his word, but we ask his Holy Spirit to come into our lives and be at work, reminding us of what he has done for us in those waters of baptism as he has made us his child.